Hey there, I'm Zach, co-founder at Aurelius and your host for the podcast. In this episode, I speak with Audrey Crane again. She's the first guest we've had back for a second time and for good reason. Audrey has been working on a concept new to me called shadow design. The premise is based off of the term shadow IT, which was also new to me. Both shadow design and shadow IT are based on the fact that there's a ton of design or IT work being done in your organization by folks who aren't trained in those areas and often, frankly, don't even want to be doing that work. Audrey has been working on ways to identify this and how much shadow design may be happening at your company. In our chat, we discuss the possible risks and challenges of shadow design, how to identify it, and very compelling reasons why we should address it. Okay, here we go with Audrey Crane, round two. Hey, Audrey, how's it going? Hey, Zach, I'm good, thanks. How are you? Excellent, excellent. Thank you for taking the time to jump on and join us again. So, you know, we were talking about this a little bit right before we started. And I want to say that you are the first repeat guest we've had on the podcast. Oh, that's very exciting. So as we were talking about, I think you said that you were number eight originally. So way back when we started the podcast, you were like episode eight. (laughs) And here we are uh, in the 60s at this point at the time of recording. Um, And so you're back. And I am (laughs) really glad to have you back. I'm glad that we didn't scare you away the first time. Um, But yeah, you know. As we normally do now, like to kind of start with just you introduce yourself, talk about your background and perspective. So folks, uh, if they haven't already heard of you or or know about your work, have an idea of where you're coming from with the chat we're going to have. Yeah, totally. Um, I, so I studied in undergrad theater and math. You might not know that about me. I didn't. Um, It was a while ago and design as we practice it today wasn't really a thing, but My dad worked in tech since before you could get a degree actually in computer science. So we had like a Radio Shack TRS-80 in our house, affectionately known as a Trash 80. We had Apple IIs and we had Trashes and Leases and all that stuff. So my summer job was always uh, doing QA or whatever for tech companies when I was in high school and college. So um, I graduated and I wanted to be an actor. I moved out to California in the mid 90s um and thought like okay well I'll, I'll act that means i need a day job because waiting tables pays better at night but hopefully i'm acting and so i ended up working at a little company that did cd-roms and then i ended up at netscape like back in the olden days when um we used to have like skim two percent and whole milk and all the fridges across the campus because <laughs> Andreessen used to drink it out of the carton when wandered around the campus and so I got to work there with, um, I was kind of around when Ben Horowitz was was um, developing his good product manager, bad product manager thing. I got to work for, directly for Marty Kagan, which was amazing. And Hugh Deverly, also like a luminary in the design industry who did the knowledge navigator for Apple back in the day. So that was a pretty extraordinary experience. I got hooked on design, the kind of right brain, left brainness of design. Mm. And since then I've worked uh, for Hugh at Deverly Design Office, but also inside companies as a designer, as a design leader, and then outside companies. Right now, I'm head of growth at a company called Design Map that does product strategy and design. Nice. I, there were some stuff in there that I didn't know about you, and we've known each other for years. 
we have. Yeah. Uh, that's fascinating for me. Uh, conversation for probably non-podcast stuff sometime to add, for me to ask about some of that in your background. But uh, you should see my. I still have my Rolodex. I ran the Net Search page, which you might or might not remember because you were probably too young, Zach. But it was like the search button that had Excite, Lycos, Hotbot, all those yeah. dead companies, and I got to meet all those people and still have my Rolodex from that time. So I have a little. Elon Musk business card from when he had a little yellow pages company called zip two. And there's some good stories about the, the, the olden days. That is madness to even think about what seems like, <laughs> I mean, literally ancient history at this point, but that's, that's super I cool. Know. That usually uh, I don't confess exactly how long I've been in it. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, it's still fun stories. Um, yeah, for sure. Cool. Okay. So appreciate the background here and you know, part of the reason that we were going to jump on a chat today is because of some new thoughts and discoveries that yeah. you've been having. And I don't want to do it any injustice. So I'm just going to ask you, why don't you introduce some of the stuff, some of the recent learnings and uh, thoughts about design as a whole, how it's happening in companies? Yeah. So I don't know if you've heard of the phrase, the value of design or the ROI of design. Um, I say that sarcastically. Never we comes are- up. Yeah. <laughs> we're, I don't know about you, I'm sick to death of talking about that. And I, I spent many years kind of like on the bandwagon trying to make the case. I I wrote a book called what CEOs need to know about design. The first chapter is like, Hey, go look at the IBM Forrester report, go look at the DMI index, go look at these things. And, you know, design isn't just for the sake of design. It adds real value to your business, top line and bottom line, blah, 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 blah. And I, I still believe that. Um, but I'm a little bit tired of talking about it, to be Mm. honest with you. And, um, we actually recently ran like a little salon of VPs of design, which are often our clients to, to sit and chat about whatever topic came to mind for them. And that was a big topic was like, we're still talking about the value of design. We're still talking about the ROI of design. How do we measure the value of design? And the, I don't know if you've seen the recent article, the kind of gaslighting around the ROI of design that got a lot of, um, got a lot of interest. So one of the things that, um, we started doing with our clients is measuring what we're calling shadow design. So changing the conversation a little bit and saying, okay, let's do a a survey of engineers, QA people, product managers, business analysts, executives, like everybody that we marketers, like everybody that we can get to participate. Let's run the survey with them and let's find out how many hours non-designers are spending doing design work. And we're careful to to kind of qualify and define that in a way that non-designers can like, we don't want to get too much in the weeds, but we want to be clear. If you're in a conversation with somebody else about design, that's not, we don't want to count that. But if you're like solo at your desk doing design or research, and this is interesting for researchers as well, then we want to know it. And what we're seeing is, jaw-dropping numbers come back. Thousands and thousands of hours come back. Um, We had one client run this. They had a 12-person design team Mm -hmm. for an organization that had something like 100 engineers. So the ratio is like, maybe okay. Mm -hmm. Um, But they found 22 
full-time employees worth of work, design work being done by people who are not designers. So borrowing the shadow IT phrase, right? We're calling this shadow design. And then um, it, what we're suggesting with our clients or anybody who wants to run this, right? Is, is to say like, okay, let's stop talking about how you need to invest more in design. There's, there's so much good ROI. So let's invest, right? That's mm. the eye of ROI. Let's say, let's just look at how much we're spending on design today. We're already spending it. The money is gone. It's like out the door. But mm. are we spending it um, intentionally and are we spending it well? And if the answer to either of those questions is no, then let's like recalibrate some of that spent. So whether it's it's budget or headcount, let's shift some of that so that we're paying designers to do design work, mm -hmm. which presumably is going to be better. Certainly, there are plenty of product managers and engineers out there that do great design, and I don't want to imply that they don't. But mm -hmm. um, you know, we we would be sort of flabbergasted if we were paying designers to do to write production code, right? So why are we doing the inverse? So this yep. is a a different take on the value of design conversation. It's just like, let's invest wisely rather than arguing that we should invest more. Totally, totally. And and that's why I thought this was going to be such a good topic to discuss on the show, because there is a lot still happening, especially with market conditions, global, global economic conditions right. around the discussion of ROI of UX, ROI of UX research. It doesn't matter. And so I thought this was very apropos that conversation as well. And so the first thing I kind of want to ask you is, you know, have you ever experienced, and you've clearly got a lot of experience in our, in our industry, right? Have you ever experienced engineering teams needing to justify the ROI of engineering, for example? No, nope. that's just a blanket question. So the answer <laughs> is no, which I kind of expected you to say. Yeah. So then the next thing is, you know, when you talk about shadow design, it's one thing to say, well, they're just getting design good enough for certain things. I, again, would fall back to the question, and, and this is genuine curiosity. I'm not trying to plant anything here, but you know, would organizations ex accept shadow development? for So, for example, to find out that not necessarily like ideal or non-qualified engineers doing engineering work elsewhere in the organization. It's a genuine question. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't think so. I mean, nobody looks at shadow IT as a as a positive, right? I don't think that phrase is used as like, oh, we don't have enough. Nobody ever said we don't have enough shadow IT happening in our organization. We need more of it. And yeah. similarly, nor would they say we don't have enough shadow engineering happening in our mm -hmm. organization. And nothing against IT and engineering like that wouldn't be appropriate. We want IT people to do IT stuff. It's important. Yeah. We want engineers to to write production code. That's important. Totally. And just, you know, uh, I realize that there's some people listening to this. They might not know entirely what shadow IT is. Can you give a little bit of background what we're talking about there? Yeah. So, sh so shadow IT is a phrase that um, often IT organizations use to describe individuals doing IT type stuff without the knowledge or support of the IT team. So maybe they're installing software locally. Maybe they're spinning up a website. Maybe they're even like getting an app built, but mm -hmm. IT doesn't know about it. And so um, it's not a not generally viewed as a positive thing. Right. And I suspect there are a number of reasons for that. Uh, security risks, compliance challenges, stuff like that. 
So I, I bring that up as a way to sort of bring it back to shadow design and say, well, then why is shadow design bad? Right. Cause there's, there's going to be an argument for it happening and saying, well, it's fine. It's just people good enough. They understand design good enough. And I'm sure that those are similar arguments in shadow IT, right? So it's like, well, then if somebody were to ask that, why does it matter? Why is it a big deal? Yeah. Um, so many points to make here. Let's see if I can capture like half of them, but um you know, the first one I want to start with is, is let's not confuse pr production and design. Mm. So when we, when I say design, I don't mean just drawing screens, although that's part of it. And it might be a lot of what's happening in shadow design, but it's probably not all of it. Right. So we're talking about bigger things like strategy, insights, alignment, vision, research, like all, all of these things. Right. So so that's one bit is we're talking about more than just like good enough screens. We're talking about other things. Um, another point is that uh, sometimes in these, or often, I, I don't know that many organizations that are like, oh, the velocity of our engineering team is great. It's faster than we expected, right? Or our product managers are way ahead of, you know, they're doing everything that we asked for and more. Like product design, Marty Kagan talks about or sorry, product management. Marty talks about product management being like a 50 hour a week, 60 hour a week job. Mm. Like they have enough to do. And so mm. do engineers. And so, um, so what you see is like as a symptom is slowing down of some parts of the organization. And then again, if, if it is just production, um, one, if you want to intentionally say like, okay, let's have engineers do do production work, then um, okay. I have some I have some ideas about that about getting engineers to be to do better and faster production work. But two, you can probably get a production designer cheaper than you mm. can get an engineer. So I do think engineers and designers with a similar level of experience are probably let's just say for the sake of argument the pay is pretty similar. But if you have an engineer doing production design work, you could probably save some money by just bringing in a production designer. And then, oh, by the way, the quality is going to improve just by the fact that they live in the design org. And so there's going to be more consistency. Maybe it's easier to leverage component libraries. Maybe they have better oversight. Maybe they get training and they improve over time, like all that stuff. Yeah. That a lot of no, that so that's really good. And it makes me think of an analogy I'm a big, which I'm a big fan of in just in terms of like explaining stuff or understanding it myself, which I thought of, you know, uh, like being an auto mechanic it's a pretty specialized set of skills now maybe your local plumber knows how to fix cars and maybe they both make roughly the same but it's likely the plumber is going to take longer to diagnose and fix the problem mm -hmm. which ultimately costs you more assuming all costs are the same yep and the quality may not be as high so yes. is, do you want to spend more on lower quality is kind of what i'm hearing and then on top of that, do it accidentally almost, right? <laughs> like not even know that the guy actually is a plumber that's fixing your car or whatever, right? So mm. um, organizations that run this survey have no idea, you know, no yeah. idea. It's it's shocking to discover. And again, if, if like you want to do that and you want to be intentional about it, then probably you can improve the quality and you can improve the cost a little bit. It's not what I would recommend, but I don't think it's impossible, but you accidentally pay the, the plumber what you would pay 
the car mechanic to fix your car and it's like more expensive than it should be. And it's not as good a quality. Like, why would we do that? Why would we do that? Right. If, yeah, if you were to pitch it to somebody that way, nobody would actually sign up to do that and pay for right. that. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, I'm sitting here thinking if I'm senior director or something at a company, senior director of design, or maybe even product engineering, either one, any one of those. And I'm, and I suspect this could be happening in our organization. And I want to kind of get my hands around it. How would we do that? Yeah. So um, we have a survey that we made available publicly. You can duplicate it and you can run it in your org. Um, It's been through several PhD level research folks. So I'm pretty confident that it's it's like the methodology is good. Um, And we actually even created a template for presenting the output. Um, Mm. For example, when we first started, we were just looking at hours and somebody had the insight to convert that to full-time employees. And that was really like, that really was, was very compelling. So all that stuff is on our website. We're happy to have people take it and do it. Um, what I'm interested in, and I, I haven't shared this with you, Zach, yet, is I would be really interested in seeing if we could get, you know, a dozen, no organization really wants to come public, like, oh, we did this, and it was crazy, like crazy pants, as we sure. say. Um, but uh, if we could get like a dozen organizations to do that and then share their findings with design maps so that we could publish some kind of document that said, you know, I mean, it's a small sample size, but, you know, small, medium and large organizations found this percentage of shadow design happening in their organization. And and then, you know, people from there could abstract to what might be happening, what might be happening in their own. I think that would be really interesting and Mm -hmm. be really useful for design organizations as a whole kind of rising tide raises all ships thing. So if people do do that, I would love to help chat with them, hear the results at the very least, hear the results, and I'm happy to do whatever I could to help in advance. Yeah. Knowledge is power. And the more we know whether or not that's happening in an organization, the the more we can fix it. Shall we say shining a light on the shadow Ooh, design? Nice. <laughs> you can have that I'm one for free, Audrey. <laughs> I'm going to put 20 in the mail for you right now. I will be here all week. Um So a couple of things about the survey um, that I think are really interesting. We are seeing like a gamut of reactions within organizations to running it, to wanting to run it. Like Mm. some organizations are like, fuck no. Like, why do we need to do that? This your little survey is not of interest. And you can probably, I don't know if you do, I guess that there are some like political undertones and desire to maintain control. and, And so- there's kind of that reaction, which takes a, some additional work to kind of work through the concerns and make sure they're addressed. On the other end of this factor, and what's interesting to me is mostly when when we encounter this with our clients, I see like an engineer that's the front end engineer that loves design, you know, mm-hmm. or the product mm-hmm. manager who doesn't know what else to do or really loves it or whatever. Like I see a little resistance to design being taken away, but actually that turns out to be like, there's a whole other side of it, which is we're seeing product managers and engineers in response to the survey saying in some organizations, like I love working with design. I think that output is better. I think it's faster. Either I don't know how to work with them or they weren't available to help me. And we're actually having product managers reach out to, to Design Map to say, like, hey, I'm doing, I'm a product manager. 
I'm doing shadow design for my organization and I don't want to, I don't have time. And there's other stuff that only I can do that I need to do. So could you help me? So there's this like spectrum from like resistant. I don't want to do it. I don't want to talk to it to like welcoming it Mm -hmm. and embracing it. And I think that has to do a lot with the, you know, I don't really like the word politics, but the, like the social stuff happening in the organization and what the relationship is to the design team and the design leader and all that stuff. But it's, it's super interesting to me how many people are supportive. Non-designers are supportive of sussing out shadow design and, and and reducing it at least. Yeah. I mean, I can imagine that design practice is probably pretty open to knowing about design that's happening outside of their knowledge or influence, you know, how, whatever, however they would phrase that. Uh, I could absolutely see political landmines to step on elsewhere, you know, team doing shadow design, assuming it's just good enough and it's fine. But the interesting thing is a lot of what you just described reminded me of uh, the episode we had with Joe Natoli. And he talked a lot about how much of these decisions around, you know, fighting what decisions should be right or wrong uh, in terms of like product strategy or design strategy often come out of fear. Like they're fear-based decisions. And, it, and so it's interesting to me, talk about that. Yeah. It's interesting to me to think about like, as you said it politically, but maybe like just exchange the word for fear. I would have to think that getting to the heart of whatever the fear is would help you address it. And interestingly enough, if this is, you know, I'm not picking on product management. Uh, you know, we love those folks, obviously, but if it's a product management team and they're doing design, they're just like, look, I don't, I don't want people to know that that's happening or, you know, for whatever fear, I, I think getting to the place where you can fully understand why that fear exists totally, as, as a way to introduce like a, a, an opportunity for education of that. This is actually not a valid fear. And in fact, if we can get to the bottom of this and figure out the actual cost impact of shadow design, your life will probably get better as a result. There's actually nothing to be afraid of. Right. Yeah. Totally. I completely agree. And I, you know, probably, probably their fear is valid if it were what we were after. Right. And just, it's a good opportunity to say, I'm not saying like lay off a bunch of product managers or lay off a bunch of engineers and hire a bunch of designers. I'm not saying that at all, but if there's some budget that can be reallocated or if there's, you know, when there's attrition, a head gets moved over to the design team, or if there's a pool of headcount that, you know, we're doing annual planning, right? That that maybe design gets a few more than engineer than mm-hmm. they would have otherwise. Like that's what we're talking about. So that's maybe like the first fear is like, I'm gonna lose my job if we run this survey. And mm-hmm. um, I don't think we need product managers as designers, right. engineers, we need product managers to be able to do our jobs. And right. so- and we need them to be able to do product management stuff. And yeah. so that's what we're trying to do. And then I, I do think that there's another fear, which is control. Mm-hmm. And um, we see this, we've done this with research teams as well. And I think research is a really interesting thing because if you run it, if you run a really effective research team where everybody is like, holy smokes, what amazing insights, like, forehead slappers, you know, 10 of them in that one interview, then you build like a following and, and very quickly. And we've seen this happen in many organizations, demand outstrips supply. Like there are way more product managers that want to go out there and talk to customers than research teams can support. And it's great. And we love it when 
product managers talk to customers. Having said that, I do have a whole workshop on how to <laughs> like have effective conversations with customers, but, but a lot like product managers in that setting might feel like, oh, you're not going to let me talk to customers anymore. Like, I don't want to lose that control or you're not going to let me draw screens anymore. I don't want to lose that control. You're not going to let me hire my own agency anymore. I don't want to lose that control. It's like a control thing. Right. And so we Mm -hmm. say like, if, if that's what works for you and that works for our organization, then great. You can maintain control of that, but I can support it by, providing oversight for your design agency so that they're consistent and you don't have to deal with the inconsistency issues later. Or I can provide training for you and the other product managers so that you guys can do more quality research that gets you better answers to the questions that you're asking so that you can make more informed decisions. So that it doesn't need to be a wrestling for control conversation. It's Mm -hmm. just like, as you say, we're shining light in the shadows and then we're being intentional about how we do less shadow design and do better shadow design, whatever that means for your organization. Yeah, I I really like the way you sort of ended that thought and the way that you said that. I think that that's really, really useful for people to think about. And the, the thought that occurred to me as you were describing that is if you were to shine a light on shadow design so to speak (laughs) and you have that knowledge just as you kind of ended you you at least have the ability to make choices you might choose that the way we're working is the way that we want hey guess what that's good to know because if you didn't know that these people outside of design roles were doing all this design work now you know and that's at least useful information for you to have that's that's the first thought that i had the second one that, that occurred to me is by getting that understanding and you know potentially addressing it like let's say you look across shadow design happening at your company and you determine that actually there's enough of this going on where we could easily hire even a junior designer for that and likely the quality would get better it's actually a compounding effect because not only are you then placing in this case design in the hands of somebody specifically trained for that that's likely going to produce higher quality output but you're also allowing everybody else who was participating in shadow design willingly or not the ability to to do better work that they are expertly trained in. Yep. So it's actually a multiplicative effect. Absolutely. Totally, totally, totally. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so I do, I think there are, you know, maybe five strategies that we can employ in order to, to address shadow design. Right. One is, okay, we get the designers or the research, like, design and research interchangeably. Like we got some more headcount through attrition or or as an organization is growing for design. That's not going to be enough. Like my prediction, and we can we can have the another podcast in 60 and I'll eat my hat on your podcast if I ever see this happen. And then the organization is just like, oh well, we're gonna do that many FTEs. We're gonna add that headcount to design. Boom, mm-hmm. done. Like that's mm-hmm. not gonna happen. And even if it does, like it's going to trickle out and it's important to keep running this survey. So you kind of keep an eye on it, right? Two is budget, right? Like get some budget allocation over to design so design can hire consultancy. And then a third is, is um, operation bear hug, I call it. So if that front end engineer like loves design more than anything, like let's move them over to the design team or business yeah. analysts. Like I think BAs are designers anyway, just in yeah. writing pictures. So 
put them in the design team. Yeah. Also, like we can get in front of it and call it our parade. So we find a bunch of shadow research or a bunch of shadow design. Let's provide research training. Let's provide design training yeah. to the organization. But all of this happens kind of so it can get a little better. Are we going to turn a front end, you know, a, or even a back end engineer into a great designer? Probably not. Are we going to turn a product manager into a great researcher? Maybe the skills that you need to be successful for good product management are often different than the skills that you need to be good at research. Anyway, um, but it all kind of happens under this umbrella of like, we have a clear objective for design in this organization and um, the quality of work that we do, the KPIs or OKRs, and all of this happens kind of under that umbrella. And it's probably going to be a combination of these things that mm -hmm. you use to, to reduce, probably never eliminate shadow design. And then if you keep running the survey and keep trying these techniques, like it should get better and better. Yeah. It's a really, it's a really interesting thing. Again, I mean, I think that just goes back to like having that knowledge allows you to make decisions about that allows you to make choices. But if you don't know that it's occurring, you have no decisions to make and you just sit around wondering why maybe our quality isn't quite where we want it to be, or our velocity isn't quite where we want it to be. If you're, you know, agile folks or whatever the case may be, you have the ability to act, right? The other thing that really came to mind as you were describing this further, because it is something that's come up a lot as we discuss ROI of UX, is risk mitigation, mm -hmm. right? So if you think about what the ROI of UX is or research or anything that we do that we would call under design or UX, a lot of it's actually risk mitigation, right? Yep. Are we making decisions that are going to double our development effort and cost when they could have been avoided by perhaps a more elegant solution that actually takes less effort, there, thereby reducing cost? That's like a really simple example. But the other one is, you know, are we <laughs> are we doing something and shoehorning uh, something into the product that actually potentially uh, causes like a security risk or a major usability flaw, which then actually helps, you know, hurts our chances to grow or things like this. And these are all things that designers are specifically trained to do. These are all things that researchers are all uh, specifically trained to like understand and then be able to translate to a team actively working on that. It is a combination effort. Yeah. Right? But yeah, you. I mean, you can even, I just made this up, so we'll see if it makes sense, but you could call it like in risk intentionality, like, mm. Okay, we have design and research teams working on these products and they are working to mitigate the risk that the user won't be able to use it, that they won't find value in it, da, 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 da. And then over here, there's a lot of shadow design happening. Uh, you know, I'm not getting a lot of receptivity to my reducing the shadow design. And so we're gonna leave that and it's risk to have to play out however it plays out. Um, somebody, a VP of design that I was talking with recently called that strategic sacrifice, right? <laughs> sure. But again, it's intentional. Yeah. Like all of this is just about intent. It's not about perfection. It's just about intentionality. And, and as you say, like, what are we investing today? Wouldn't that be better spent getting better, more efficient design and also freeing up engineers, product managers to do what they're trained and and educated and experienced and paid to do better. Yeah. So it's yeah. Yeah. 
And on that note, reminded me of something else I thought of when you were describing this is I can imagine that there's potentially product managers, engineers, people in marketing even like that are being asked to do some of this stuff that maybe every time they do, they go, man, this sucks. This isn't part of my job. I don't want to do that. And the thing you risk, again, it's risk mitigation. The thing you risk there is you're burning somebody out that might be really, it might be a really awesome product manager for your organization. And they're looking for a job because they don't want all of that additional responsibility, maybe that they didn't sign up for. Yeah. 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 I hadn't thought of that, but yeah, it's for sure. Burning, burning folks out, putting demands on them that they didn't sign up for, aren't trained for, they feel like it slows them down. And, and I really, I really have been surprised how many people have said, and non-designers have said, I don't want to do all this design work. Mm-hmm. Um, because I mostly what I hear when I talk to people, I don't, so I don't know if it's just, it's probably just the volume, right. Of the number of people who are taking this survey now, they don't, they don't want to do it or they want to do it with the designer. They want to have a conversation yeah. with the designer. And, and I, I do want to say like, I get in trouble in a couple of ways. I get in trouble in lots of ways, but I, yeah, I had a feeling that was probably the case. <laughs> there are a few that I know about. One is I'm not saying that all product managers suck at design. I'm not saying that all engineers or QA people suck at design. Like that's not true. Some of them are great at it. And so it's not about them. It's just about the unintentionality. And again, sort of like how we're investing and how consciously we're investing our money. So that's one thing that, that I get in trouble for. Um, the other thing that I want to be careful to say is like, if a product manager, an engineer, anybody is is drawing a screen because they want to engage in a conversation with a designer, whatever that conversation is, like I had this idea or I don't know how to communicate, but I like, if it's the beginning of a conversation, I would not call that shadow design. I would just say like that person draws pictures to communicate and that's totally cool. Like, please keep doing that. That's great. If the picture is the end of the process, like this is going to production or something very close to this is going to production. That's what I would call shadow design. So, you know, we still want to talk with them and we still want to invest time in design in a collaborative way. Like, is this meeting the business needs? Is this addressing the market that you envision? Is this technically feasible? Like none of that counts as shadow design. That's just what we do as a team when we're collaborating and doing design. The But what I wanna call out is like, I'm alone designing a screen that's gonna go into production. Boom, that's, that's the, what we don't wanna do unintentionally. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and a common theme with everybody we talk to, I feel like on this show too, is like having empathy for people you work with, not just for customers and people you do design for or research with. And I think that that's really important here. A couple things that came to mind, you know, number one, I always tell people, remember most people in your organization, most people in the team you work on and other teams you work with are not intentionally malicious. They are not out to get you. They're not out to steal your job. They're not out to undermine you. Everybody's really just trying to do their best work, right? So like starting from a place of understanding that. The other thing that came to mind is like, there's a lot of design adjacent people is the way I'll describe it. You know, product managers, engineers, marketers, they can do design, but maybe they're not trained to do design at the level we would expect for production. That doesn't mean they can't participate in design. I think that's what you're suggesting. That's what it sounds like to me is we're not suggesting anybody stop participating in design. 
Yeah. We're simply saying like be in the intentionality about where and how that's happening. Because the third point where, again, I'm trying to place myself in the shoes of somebody, like if I'm an engineer and I'm being asked to just design stuff, most people don't find joy and comfort in doing stuff that they're not at. Mm-hmm. And and especially I feel like if I'm an engineer and I sit here and I go, well, I'm not good at design and I'm being asked to do this, it's probably a really uncomfortable part of my job. And likely I welcome a uh, a partner in that. I probably still want to participate in it because I like having an opinion. Everybody does. Uh, yeah. And there's actually, and those are actually extremely valuable, by the way, you yeah. should work with your development and, and, uh, and, and other team partners for uh, quality design. But just keep in mind, like these folks, a lot of times recognize like, Hey, it's, that's not what I'm good at. And I would love somebody to kind of pass the baton to, but uh, still participate in the race, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. We need, we need our product management partners and our engineering partners in particular to work with us to make sure that we're meeting our objectives with the products on all fronts. And a lot of times great ideas come from engineers who understand what's technically feasible or product managers who have looked at the competition in detail and see a gap or we want all that stuff to happen. And I'm not trying to call any of that stuff out with this shadow design. Um, a lot of it probably is production design when we talk about shadow design. Mm-hmm. It's just when somebody's doing it alone and that's the end of what's going to happen. That's what we want to measure and and adjust for. Yeah. You know, one of the things I've found is that when as a design as a trained design and research product strategy person myself, what I've found one of the biggest valuable interactions that I've found with when working with those people is that they have an excellent perspective on the big picture and I'm able to round out the details. So we're often on the same page already, mm-hmm. right? But they are able to round out the details in terms of effort or cost or, uh, you know, market size. And um, like you said, like competitive landscape, whereas trained designers are able to get into the details of exactly how we execute the right thing. So we can all come to the right thing together. And then designers tend to be extremely focused on the details of executing that. And that's, and that's where good products can become great products or good services can become great services. And that's the value you get from having a team and somebody dedicated to do that. Right. And I think that that's really what you're, what you're driving at. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, I think a lot of what we do also is like describe describing the vision or um, developing alignment that that's a lot of the work that we do. And I don't know, to be honest with you, that that would get pulled out in shadow design because I don't think a lot of people are jumping in and saying like, uh, you know, we, we need a, we need a vision type now. And I product manager, I'm going to create the vision type, um, by myself. Uh, but in any case that sort of like we each, we all want to feel like we're contributing meaningfully at work. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think, each of those three disciplines of the triad have areas where we can kind of see the big picture and areas where we can contribute detail. And it's critical that we're all able to do that in order to succeed. So that's great. Let's all do that for sure. Let's just not assign somebody, somebody else's job unintentionally. Right. Or take 
a single job and distribute it across multiple people <laughs> who don't want to do it and and would even raise their hand and say, I don't I don't think I'm doing this well, right? Um, and accidentally, yeah. Yeah, totally, totally. Um, I'm realizing that we you know we're kind of coming up to the end of the time we have together, which I need to be respectful of that for you. And the and the way that we typically end these things, right? Is I say if. Uh, I forgot everything we talked about. And somebody came up to you and said, Hey, Audrey, what was that all about? And what was, what would be the way you would answer that question and summarize this chat? Yeah. I think the, the summary is that we know that a lot of design work is being done within organizations without anybody knowing it by non-designers. We would call that shadow design. And we think it's important to bring that to light. Um, so that we know how much shadow design is happening and then employ various strategies to make sure that um, we can improve the quality of that design work, we can improve the efficiency of that design work, and we can improve the efficiency of the other disciplines that are being leveraged to do design work that maybe don't want to or don't like to or aren't good at design. So I think that's how we'd boil it off. Really well said. I was here and I do remember, and I, I think that's a great summary. <laughs> Thank um, you. So, yeah, I mean, this is awesome. I, a topic that I haven't heard anybody else talk about. So super useful. And I think everybody listening to this, it would at least at, ver- at least raise an eyebrow to and likely take action on. We're going to have links to uh, the survey and, and, the, and the, you wrote an article about this, too, talking a bit more about it. Um, but, you know, is there anything else that you want to share with folks, uh, how to get in touch with you, how to keep conversation going or anything else you want to share uh, with folks listening that we didn't cover yet today? Um, no, it would be, I would love to hear again, if, if people are going to run the survey or have run the survey, we'd like to collect that and kind of raise the awareness of this as an issue and maybe elevate design teams and, um, improve the success of those like ROI of design conversations or change them. So that'd be great. Um, we're at designmap.com. If you do find shadow design, happening and you get some budget allocated, feel free to call. (laughs) We'd be happy to help with that. And then um, the last bit, I I doubt that anybody listening to this podcast um, needs to read this book called What CEOs Need to Know About Design. I say book, it's it's like a long pamphlet. It's it's a a short read and it's it's kind of 101-y, you know, it's 10,000 words on the very basics of design. There's lots, it's oversimplified and left out. But we do find that handing that to heads of products, CEOs, like, um, can be helpful and just not having the conversation about like, why don't the wireframes have color in them? You know, we can like yeah. start with like a, a, at least a basic um, foundation of shared understanding and it, and the survey is mentioned in the book as well. So maybe that could be helpful. Awesome. Those are awesome resources. We'll have links to all that stuff, links to where folks can find you on social media, on the internet, and uh, continue the conversation, ask questions if they want. Cool. Thank you so much, Zach. It's always to talk to to you. And um, I'm excited to get this idea out here and out there and help all design organizations hopefully get a little bit more leverage. Likewise. Love love having you on. Appreciate you coming back for round two. And uh, 
Yeah, cool. So, all right, everybody, we'll see you next time. This podcast is brought to you by Aurelius, the platform designed to help you gather research data, make sense of it fast, and turn it into insights and action. It's a central place to search and share all of your research data and insights. You can try Aurelius for free with a 30-day trial by going to AureliusLab.com. That's A-U-R-E-L-I-U-S-L-A-B.com. If you enjoyed this episode, give us a review on iTunes and let others know. You'll find all the links and resources to each episode on the show notes at blog.aureliuslab.com. Catch all new episodes of the Aurelius podcast almost anywhere you listen to podcasts like iTunes, Spotify, and more. Stay up to date when new episodes come out by signing up for our email updates on our website.